Coming up, Jordan and I are going to be talking about Oppenheimer. All right, let's do it. I'm here with Jordan. We just went to go see Oppenheimer on the big screen, the biggest of screens. Um, God, what a what an event that was! It, it was <laughs> that was it was an experience, right? Yeah, it was an experience. Um, that was the first movie I think that I've been this excited for, and then um, it lived up to the expectations, in my opinion. And man, I I'm I wanted to after it was over, although it was twelve o'clock at night i still was like i want to watch this again or 12 I in the morning totally agree with that yeah it was fucking 1 a.m yeah 1 a.m I, I literally was like i could sit here in those nice recliners <laughs> and do that all the way over again because that yeah. was fantastic and i feel like it's something we should do again because um this movie was so yes it was three hours but they packed 20 years worth of storyline in those three hours and they did it it was very fast paced and i feel like there's a yeah. lot we could have missed yeah i want to talk about that too the scenes jump scene to scene very fast it, there's like 30 second scenes with a ton of dialogue and then it jumps and it jumps scenes and it jumps time periods super quick and there's just no chance that you could catch every piece of dialogue and everything that was said in that movie so it's it's hard off of first viewing to feel like i caught everything because i definitely i think on a second viewing i would actually like it a lot more yeah i mean i it's it's a 10 i'm just going to spoil the ratings now like we can i guess i don't know how we should do this i don't think we should give away too much because people might not have watched it so we're going to not try and spoil a ton we're just going to try and talk pretty broadly about the movie um I'm giving it a 10 out of 10. We can start with our ratings. Uh, this was this is my favorite movie I've ever seen, I think. Um, wow. Which I haven't crazy. seen a ton of I haven't seen a ton of movies. So that's, that's... <laughs> I would give it I'm going to give it like a 9.2. I think it was fantastic. I thought it was a little overwhelming. It was it was I thought it, it was a little bit too fast paced, maybe at times. And the soundtrack kind of bothered me because it felt it was like a horror it was a... movie soundtrack. Well, no, but it just felt like it was a highlight reel the whole time. Like the soundtrack was just playing in every scene. And there's so few scenes where it's just dialogue and just the characters being themselves without, you know, some sort of, I don't know, percussion in the background. It just bugged me a little bit. It felt like it was it it reminded me of the interstellar like closing sequence, but the whole movie. And it just kind of bugged me. And I thought it. I don't know. It had flaws, but I thought it was still amazing. See, I liked that. I think it's because it kept me engaged and I was like, I can't look away. Like sometimes with movies that there's parts that are a little slow yeah. and my mind wanders and then I'm like, oh, like I'm there's missed. certainly not a slow part. Of this no movie. slow parts. And I think the movie, the music, the scene, everything kept me engaged because of the speed of it. And I just was glued. Granted, I dropped my phone underneath the recliner. Um, that we were sitting in early, very early. Couldn't get it for the entire movie, so that was another reason why I was so locked in. But, um, yeah, I w- I think normally at those times I would have like kind of zoned out, but I mean there was no opportunity to do that. I thought the score was a horror movie score. If you listened, like if you're like I was listening specifically for the music, and there are intense parts where it's not the it's not right at the like. I can't make the noise of what I'm thinking in my head, but there's like the classic horror movie score, which it wasn't quite that, but it was a modern day horror movie score because 
there are parts of it that I'm that are like taken right out of like the conjuring and things of that nature where it's like uh just very intense um yeah. like minor chords being played and I I was I that was the first thing that stuck out to me as I was like this if you played this um in a movie like the conjuring or something this would be the same score yeah it would work I I thought it reminded me of for anyone who's seen um the dark knight rises Yep. Or Arrival or Interstellar. I thought the score was very similar and those were all Christopher Nolan. I don't know if Arrival was or not. Yeah. Um, but but he has this specific type of score that he really likes to use. Yeah. Um so also the other part about this movie is that it just jumps right in. There's no there's no yeah. like build it it jumps into I, like I would say if you're gonna go see this for the first time to go in with a slight amount of context and at least go yes. in knowing the characters and knowing which actor is which scientist. Cause there are so many names that get thrown around that I found it really hard to keep track of who was who and who was playing what role and who said what, cause when there's characters and they're talking about another character, there was times where I was like, wait, who is that? And so I, I think if you're going to go watch this, you definitely should go in with some context. That's why that's another reason why I think a second viewing would be a lot more valuable for us. True. I did like that when they were talking about a character, they would cut backwards and show like a scene of the character that they were yeah. talking about, um, like walking into frame and like make it clear they were talking about this guy. Um, that was really helpful. Uh, kind of a spoil. Not really. They They tell this story in three timelines. So they have the it's really hard to explain. There's like a past. They're like talking about Oppenheimer's past while simultaneously talking about 20 years into after the bomb has been dropped, um, which is shown in like a black and white kind of thing to, t- to kind of signify that it's the past. And then mm-hmm. later on, they build they kind of connect the two, but there's a third timeline in there and I'm, I'm forgetting now what it was, but there was a third timeline, right? Well, they have the Oppenheimer like trial, but it's not a trial. It's yeah. whatever they called it because they, they didn't have judges or lawyers. Um, And then they had the RDJ trial, which was, well, not RDJ, but the Strauss trial, which was like five years later than that. Yeah, and they had, and they jump back to like Oppenheimer when he's a young adult, and they show obviously the creation of the bomb and that whole timeline. Okay, so yeah, so that's what it is. They're talking about. So let me rephrase this. So there's three timelines. They're talking about Oppenheimer's past, starting as like a 20 year old up until, um, the creation of the atomic bomb and all that. Then they're in the past, talking about 20 years after the atomic bomb has been dropped. Um, and they're kind of, or not 20 years, sorry. It's like probably 10 years after the atomic bomb has been dropped and they're kind of dealing with the repercussions of it. And then there's also like eight years where they're, where they're doing a trial, a mini, like, um, what's the word? Like they're, they're talking to Oppenheimer about, about it. They're asking him questions about it, which is another scene. So there's three separate timelines. It's very confusing. It makes more sense when you're watching it. It's not like it's not that confusing when you're watching it. I kind of followed that pretty clearly, but I agree with you. You need to know about you need to know about the general idea of World War II, like why it happened, um, the general timeline of World War II. You need to know about like the A bomb as a whole, kind of all the guys um, involved with that, and then I think 
that should be that that should have you covered if you know about about that just know the names know the characters and know like a general synopsis of oppenheimer's life and you'll be good yeah um but yeah so great performance also a ridiculous cast of of actors i mean like like no actually ridiculous because there's huge actors that have like four lines yes so the one the the biggest example of this is rami malik who delivers probably four to six lines and when you look at (laughs) When you look at the Oppenheimer cast, he comes up one, two, three, four, f- five. He comes up fifth, and he's literally in the movie for five seconds. This movie has Cillian Murphy, Florence Pugh, Robert Downey Jr., uh, Emily Blunt, Rami Malek, Jack Quaid, Devin Bostick, Matt Damon, Josh Peck, um, Tom Conti. There's so many pl- people in here. Ma- Matthias, uh, gosh, Schwegofer. I, I don't know how to say his last name. He's German, but he's in... My girlfriend loves this guy. He's in um he is in Army of the Dead and Army of Thieves. I don't know if you've watched those movies. They're like kind of cheesy, um, newer like zombie movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's really Casey good. Casey Affleck's in it too for yeah. a section. Gary, Gary Oldman, Oldman is Harry Truman. Yeah. yeah. Gary Oldman and Harry Oh, that's the other thing. Reading through this cast, I didn't I didn't even know who they were. Or like in terms of what what parts they play. Like I didn't know Gary Oldman was Harry Truman. Um, I didn't recognize him either. The makeup and the CGI—they did the Irishman CGI uh, aging really well. Where they aged Cillian Murphy like a ton. Um, very well done. Emily Blunt is fantastic in this movie. She is fucking awesome. We'll get back to her. I also want to talk about. Uh, they have Benny Safdie in this movie who plays the brother. Um, in Good Time opposite of robert pattinson um so that's a cool cameo josh peck is in this movie as well um there are just there's a scars guard brother in this movie there's literally so many people in this movie and all of them are doing their absolute best work i would say i don't think there's one bad performance in the movie would you agree with that no, no. yeah they all they all crush it Every single, cast. every single cast member every single actor that had lines or even it was in the background was fantastic there was not a singular actor that was bad or actress that was bad benny safty's german accent was the only thing that needed maybe a touch of work um oh yeah the Getting german... nit- nitpicky on the accents a little it was a little <laughs> i you could see he was really like in the beginning he was good with it but then it kind of you could tell that he need he was like really focusing on getting it but i thought it was good still um i think part of it too is i know him from yeah. being from being in good times so uh it was kind of weird for me maybe that's my end i thought it was, he kept he dropped it a little bit here and there but other than that all the accents were great um the albert einstein cameo was super cool i actually didn't even know that oppenheimer and einstein like knew each other i didn't either yeah, so yeah, that was super that. that was super interesting. The Harry Truman part was really awesome. I I knew we were going to see Harry Truman. I didn't expect to see him in that capacity. Um that was fantastic. So now let's talk about let's start let's start with Emily Blunt and then we can go to Cillian Murphy, Murphy rather. Um how awesome is Emily Blunt in this movie? Dude, she's phenomenal the whole time, but she has one of like a like a top three scene in this whole movie and 
Usually in movies, that might not sound like a, a big accomplishment, but the amount of scenes yes. in this movie, I, I can't imagine how long this took to shoot. There's a million scenes. A lot of them are quick. A few of them are long. Emily Blunt, in the final third of this movie, when they're in that little mini courtroom trial thing that we're trying to explain, but we can't explain, yeah. she gives one of the best scenes in the whole movie. It's... I know the scene you're talking about when she's kind of going at it with the other guy and it is, yeah, it's so awesome. The way that she plays it is just be on the lookout for it. It is just such a good scene. She is such a great actress. We actually, we recorded um, a re uh, like a review for a movie that were is yet to be named because um, we don't want to give it away. We reviewed it before and recorded it before we watched this movie, but it's going to be released next week. And she is the lead in that movie as well. And she's awesome in that movie too. Um, really underrated actress, I think. I, I know she's like world renowned, but I think she is really, really awesome. Um, and the way she looks in this movie, I left the movie, remember? And I was like, holy fuck, that was Emily Blunt in that movie? I didn't even realize. <laughs> yeah, they they do tend to dress her down sometimes. The other movie we reviewed with her in it, she's very dressed down as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, she is freaking awesome. Florence Pugh is amazing in this movie. Um, her performance, kind of apart from Cillian Murphy, is awesome. Let's talk Cillian Murphy now. Um, did you go home and watch the Oppenheimer video that I told you to watch by any chance? I didn't. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, have you seen a picture of Oppenheimer or heard him talk? Yeah. Like yeah. I think, yeah, I have. Okay, so you see how spot on Cillian Murphy is. Yeah, he absolutely crushed it. I honestly didn't before the movie. I had no idea, and it's. It is spot on. It's weird how how well he gets to the actual guy. He smokes the same way. They they yeah. smoke cigarettes the same way. They hold it the same way, and they they like just smoke them the same way, which is really important. The way they talk, their cadence is right on. He looks very similar to him. Um, and the only reason I knew of Oppenheimer before is because I'm like a history nerd, so I, I love reading about all that type of stuff and. I ended up watching the video of Oppenheimer saying I have become death and I've become the destroyer or whatever. And um, when that line is delivered, that is silly. Murphy is spot on when he uh, says that line. It's it's mind boggling. All of these characters, by the way, are made to look like spot on to everyone that they're supposed to uh, be be like playing. I don't know if you went and looked at the comparisons of the real characters versus the actors no i didn't but that might explain why josh peck was in the movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe he looked like someone <laughs> he he did they all he was awesome in that he was he played great i, I mean thought. he had one line i know he but was... his facial expressions were so good like it, <laughs> like in the background were they so good like yes how they many were could have done that i mean i don't know why you're throwing strays at josh peck right now well because well, i think he's just a face i i don't know wow. he i do like it bothers me when there's faces in movies that they're only there because they are actors and people know who they are. Like that, that just kind of bugged me, but it wasn't really like this the Remy crazy. Malik thing is kind of the same thing, but he at least had a scene where he, he had a chance to deliver a performance. Josh Peck literally said one, maybe two words. I, I thought that he played well in the, in the background. Cause I kind of, Oh, no, he played well. He played well in every scene. Um, I just noted like the way that he was looking when he was his his face was saying a lot of things. Um, 
in the specific scenes that he was in, there's one scene of, um, you know, there's like one scene where they're celebrating, but he's kind of in the background and he is showing that he's kind of conflicted with the celebration. And then yeah. the, the scene that he he's in where he's like, you know, pressing the button and he's, He's very nervous. I I thought he played well. I thought he did really well. I like him a lot as a person and actor, though. Um, Rami Malek is good too in this one. Um, he he delivers good lines. I think the they do they're so successful with the intensity in this movie. They made it so much more intense than I thought it was going to be, and I love it because this movie I think in the wrong hands can be done very poorly. Um. It can be a very boring concept and a very boring movie because it's a lot of academia. It's a lot of people being really smart and talking about quantum theory and physics um, yeah. and talking about theorems. But they made it with the intensity and the speed that, one, I felt like I I understood what was happening pretty easily. And then, two, I felt like they kept us engaged with that because of the speed. So I thought that was a good trope that they had. Yeah, it was three hours. It kind of felt like it was two and a half because yes. there was never a dull moment and things did progress pretty quickly, uh, even though it was over the course of like 30 years or something like you mentioned. Um, I, I think the scale of it, like you said, with the intensity, that's something Christopher Nolan does probably better than anyone in the history of film is to scale things up and to make anything that he wants to feel huge and intense and the audio of this movie, the visuals of this movie, you're just going to be blown away. So yeah, hats off to that stuff. That's, that's just like, you almost expect it with a Christopher Nolan movie, but you can't take it for granted because there's so few people who do it like he does. Yeah. Um, the other thing that stood out to me about this movie and that I was surprised about was the amount of communism and red scare that was going on. I didn't realize that they were worried about that all the way back. I th- I thought communism and the Red Scare and everything started around with Reagan. Well, not started with Reagan, but was at the end of it started with the Korean War is what I thought. Um, And then sort of really ramped up, obviously, with Reagan and all that. But kind of, you know, and then Vietnam and everything. But I didn't realize that it was so rampant and you know intense um in like the 30s and 40s and 50 obviously the 50s with korea korean war but i didn't realize how big of a part of of this movie the communism aspect would be i mean they talk about it the entire movie um well it's basically the whole plot that's that's why they have the trial like yes yeah i i didn't realize it either i went in with very little context did you go in reading about oppenheimer at all or no i never read a book about him but i had read I just finished a book about um, a Soviet Union spy who mm. defected over to um, M16, and he, I, but I, I guess he he defected I think in the 80s, so it was like in the kind of in the center of the Cold War, and I didn't realize maybe the 70s. Um, I just to me, I when I read that, I got the context that it was at the, at its height there. I didn't realize it had started so like I knew communism was a thing, but I didn't realize. Um, I thought there's so much more worried about fascism than communism um, with Nazism and everything. So I didn't I didn't read about it specifically, but I didn't know that that was going to be such a big um, deal. I knew afterwards it would have been. 
I didn't think yeah. Oppenheimer had much to do with it. I mean, it all makes sense. The whole thing is the nuclear arms race with uh Russia with the Soviet Union and um the US. But I I think the part of it too is that did you think this movie was going to go into the past, like past when they dropped the bomb? Like where did, when did you, what time frame did you think this movie was going to end at? I thought it was going to end when they completed the bomb and boy, was I wrong, but yes, I, that's what I, I don't know. Too. I, I also didn't know because it was three hours and Christopher Nolan does have a reputation for manipulating time periods and jumping back and forth between timelines. So I had no idea, but I just assumed it would end when they created the bomb and maybe they would go, you know, 20 minutes after that. But I think they they might have created they they might have finished the creation of the bomb like halfway through and then they go a whole I think other, it's three like, quarters hour plus. Yeah, I think it's three quarters that they they've create the bomb. I think. Yeah, I could be wrong. It, yeah, but it's like six, two thirds, three quarters to or a half. Somewhere around, so they have a whole hour where it, yeah. it doesn't really have to do with the creation or explosions. Not to mention the whole time too, they're splitting time between the lead up to the creation of the bomb and the background, like the trial afterwards. So there's a bunch of like, right. <laughs> so they've already done like thirty to an hour on the past, anyways. Um, and then they're they add in mm. that extra hour afterwards. It's very it's very well done and it's very interesting. Because I, I like you thought that it was going to end there, so I guess that my understanding of it, I, I, I didn't really think about what happened Oppenheimer after the after it, you know, right? Um, yeah, so great movie. It made me want to smoke cigarettes. Uh, did it? Did you have that effect on you? <laughs> I, I'm not a cigarette guy, but I mean, I'm not a cigarette guy either. That's what it I did mean, to you, maybe. Yeah, it does I, look badass. That's it looks sure. so sick. It, it and whatever awesome. hat he's wearing, yeah. Oh no, yeah, he, uh, Opp- the fits. People are fitted up in this movie. Was was Cillian Murphy born to play like old timey? Um, he must have like, been badasses like Peaky Blinders, Tommy Shelby, yeah. and Oppenheimer. He must have been. I mean, he played well, dude. This movie, he, this movie, he must have gone full method for this one because this was like Joaquin Phoenix and portraying the Joker esque level of control over the character. The way that he sits, he sits kind of like the Joker. The way that he sits crumpled. And he's like, he looks awful in this movie. He looks so ill. Um, Oppenheimer ends up dying in 1967 of throat cancer because he's chain smoked his entire life. And yeah. you can tell that like as they age him up and down, you can see like he's pretty close to kicking the bucket at some points. Um, it's pretty obvious that um, he, he changes the way he speaks too when he gets when when they're shooting the scenes where he's supposed to be older. Yeah. Um, and the aging stuff, by the way, is really well done. But... Yes, the, the aging is awesome. Um, but yeah, the way the way that he portrays Oppenheimer as a character is perfect, but then the physical attributes of his acting are also perfect. Like the the blank, like childlike stare that he has in his eyes, or like when he's he portrays a person thinking really well, like being deep in thought, which yeah. I think is kind of hard to do. Um, without making it looking, making it look like you're staring out like a brain dead person. Um, and then he portrays when he's making jokes or doing kind of comedy or whatever. He has like this. It's not a smile. It's like the way he like manipulates his eyes and makes them light up in a way that it is very. Yeah. He's just the best of the best. Um. Yeah, he's, he's gonna so get good. nominated for best actor for this. He should it's win. Obviously, I think. I mean, I haven't I mean, seen any other nominees, so I, that's a crazy thing. <laughs> well, to say. it's it's still very very early. There's a lot of movies to come out. 
um some of which yeah. which we don't even know are in production probably so should we do a little re- should we get into the awards this year should that be something we do for this podcast uh yeah i'm down for that i also okay. think robert downey jr is going to get nominated for supporting actor oh yeah um were you as high on his performance as i was yes uh i loved his performance i i love rdj as well um and i was so high on his performance like you the big thing for me was his hair i mean not not Dude, he not, was unrecognizable in this yes and i i'm trying to figure out if they shaved the top of his head yeah because he's got he's like got like a balding thing he plays his character to perfection and i mean he is just he's awesome in this movie the way that he speaks um the way that he he stiffens the top of his lip he like th- that doesn't move when he's talking with this character so his bottom lip is moving but I noticed that like the way he does it very stiff and it's a, just a very unique uh, thing that he does that makes the guy look like it's like an older way of talking. And just a it, that was something I noticed. And I was like, that's just one of those tiny things that actors can do that that puts them above everyone else. Yeah. Just like above and beyond stuff. Yeah. yeah and he, the way that he, he makes it, the way that he makes his eyes look dead when he's pissed. Did you notice that? Yeah, I think he also had. At the end, maybe my favorite scene in the whole movie. I I can't. I'm like fighting between two scenes, not the Emily Blunt one, um, but the one with Killian Murphy in the courtroom. Obviously, the the detonation of the bomb is sick, but I think it's it's more intense, which is weird because you're comparing a intensity of the explosion of a nuclear bomb that kills but... 200,000 people. <laughs> yeah. But I still think the more intense scenes are the ones with the characters going back and forth at the end. And I think Robert Downey Jr. Probably at the end has the most intense scene and just delivers perfect lines. Um, I, I don't know who his counterpart was in that scene. I don't know what actor that was, but he also kills it. There's uh, a really good that, sequence. Was that Casey Aff- Affleck. No, Casey's only in it for the, the middle part, isn't he? He he doesn't play. I think I thought that was Casey Affleck, the guy the the guy that's like getting him set up, like RDJ's assistant, kind of. Yeah, deal. yeah. No, Casey Affleck is Boris Pash. Oh, you're who, right. Yeah, he was like a part of the military. The yeah, he's awesome. That character is awesome. Casey Affleck does. Is he the one that they're like? This guy has killed a communist with his bare hands. I I don't know. Maybe he's got like the steely blue eyes, and he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I mean, the fact that you don't know who Casey Affleck is might be an issue, but I know I know (laughs) I I got him mixed up with care because he kind of looks like I know who Casey Affleck is. He's from Ocean's Eleven, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that character, the Casey Affleck character, that's another guy who, the way that he was talking. He sounded like he was straight out of the military. He re- he reminded me of like the guys that I was. I wasn't in the military, but I was in Air Force <laughs> ROTC. But anyway, I, that's not <laughs> the cadre, like the military men that were actually in the military that were um like our officers and stuff. He talked and the way he sat and the way he asked in questions and everything and kind of interrogated uh, Cillian Murphy. That was like, whoa, this guy spent some time watching movies or like studying up for this role obviously and then he had this quiet super intensity I don't, this might have been one of the scenes that you missed but he was he was 
very intense and it was awesome um in this movie the no the counterpart i'm trying to find him because i'm also interested in who that was the counterpart it's basically the assistant to um robert i think it's alex i think it's alex wolf alex wolf all right i'll take your word for it there he was really good and my favorite part like my favorite oh no no nope it's not alex wolf it's alden aaron reich yeah that's him he was great he was great um my f- favorite Robert Downey Jr. part is he ex- they're in this locked room and he kind of explodes on his assistant and they have like a heated exchange. And then he opens the door and fully changes his face from being like, oh, yeah, the most pissed off you, you can be. He fully changes it to a smile and this fake like, yeah, because um, the press is all smile and opens the door and, open- and starts talking to the press. Yeah. And it is just like. This that's guy. the scene that's i think I'll, I'll choose that as my favorite scene i love yeah. that it's like this guy is this is what like as a guy as people who create content like you and i do i think we often look at guy um you know not guys in particular guys girls whatever who do the best things and there's moments like when you're watching an nba game and you're like oh that's why they're in the nba or when you're that was just when you're watching a movie and you're like holy fuck that's, yeah, why that's why I can't just says. go become an actor. This guy is insane. And that's what this whole movie is. This whole movie is you looking yeah. at characters and just being like, oh, that's why I can't just hop into acting because these guys and girls are insane. And we're so good in this movie. There's no there's no bad performance, I think. No, there's definitely not. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what else we can talk about without talking about the plot itself, because I don't want to. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there's much. I think we covered it pretty good. Yeah. Um, unless you want to go into like spoilers. No, I. All right. If you want to watch the movie and haven't watched it yet, cut the podcast here because we're going to go into spoilers. So this is an official spoiler alert from here on. We're going to spoil some things. So if you haven't watched the movie and you don't want anything to be spoiled, you can pause it now. Okay. All right. Hopefully you pause it if you didn't want to get any spoilers. Um, okay, let's talk. Let's talk spoilers. Hopefully no one's phone like dropped and they can't find yeah. it, and we're just talking. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, "No, no, stop, please." <laughs> okay, did you think that you were gonna have as little time with the actual um, atomic bomb being detonated? Like, you don't really, you actually don't see it, it go quick. off. Yeah, it was quick. I thought that was gonna be um, like a, I don't know longer scene uh, or longer explosion uh, you itself don't even see the explosion you yeah you just get word over the phone that it happened well you see the mushroom cloud but you don't see the actual detonation which i thought they were going to do um but that didn't bother me at all i thought that scene was done super well and oh. the way the char- the way the characters react to it is the whole point it's not about the explosion it's it's about what it means and you can tell that from the characters faces it sort of reminded me you i know you remember this because we were the same age um do you remember when osama bin laden died yeah i do Do actually do do you remember going to yeah do you remember going to school the next day and half the kids were cheering or probably like three quarters of the kids were cheering and like like all patriotic and then some of the kids were like it's a dead like someone died (laughs) (laughs) why are we cheering that died yeah that sort of was like a microcosm of what the reactions are in this movie there's like a couple of people that are like 
fuck we just killed so <laughs> many people it's overwhelmingly happy yeah because they've accomplished their job but then the war is over yeah right that in that moment they know the war is over um but then there is like after the initial excitement and happiness then everyone's like wait we everyone's gonna die like the world is changing so many people are gonna get hurt from this well that but i also think there's a couple of people that are like we just like oppenheimer in particular i think is more focused on the fact that he just killed like he created something that killed thousands of people um and then the other people like you mentioned later on are understanding the repercussions like fuck we just showed that there could be potential for a nuclear battle between two countries that would end in the world ending um and that's what the second half of this movie is about is that it becomes the arms race where Basically, the Nazis, the Nazis sh- show that they are going to try and create a nuclear bomb to basically, I guess, destroy everything. So, obviously, Cillian Murphy has to create, like, catch up, right? Or Oppenheimer. In the U.S., they have to catch up uh, on everything. And then, from there, they I love the part when they find out that they, they like, bring the, the professor over. They, they get him to escape from russia or russia i don't know where that came from from (laughs) from denmark um and he comes over and he's he says something and they're like everyone starts cheering because they're like they made a mistake they're gonna be like six months behind that was super cool um i also thought it was very interesting when the professor that he met and was friends with joined the nazi party and started working with the nazis um that was a very interesting scene because i didn't think about how that happened yeah because if you're a german you you're the German scientist. You work for the Nazis. Like it, it's yeah. it's weird. No matter how you know we look at the Nazis now, um, it didn't matter if you agreed with all the Nazis' beliefs back then. If you were their top scientists in Germany, like that, that was what you did. So yeah, it is it is weird to think about that. And it's weird. I didn't realize. I guess I was naive. I didn't under, I didn't realize how much traveling was going on beforehand. Um, because I I think to me when I picture it, I th- I picture like there's not a ton of travel from the u.s abroad i mean there is travel but not as much like i didn't realize there was academics like going to different countries and you know um like studying and spending time in those countries i mean i knew i knew that like it's something you know in the back of your head but you don't really think about yeah Um, right that's true you don't think about that and then i didn't really think about how it's like he gets there he's fine when he's there like he's in denmark for a while and he's chilling everything's cool and then you start getting this like he starts understanding that there's like this slight tension increase because he's Jewish. He's like, things yeah. are changing here. And he's talking to another Jewish scientist. The guy gives him the like Clementine and tells him to eat. He's like, yeah, because that guy's like, they don't want us here because they're both Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's an interesting thing. And then when they like go back home because they kind of sense what's happening, uh, the Nazis are starting to get power and everything. And then the scene where like, the Nazis invade Poland um, is, you know, very intense, obviously, because that's what kicks off the start of World War Two. And then yeah. from there, just kind of steamrolls and just seeing the plight of like a Jewish person. I think in a lot of movies, we we are there when the World War Two has been kicked off and you already know what's happening. But seeing it ramp up was very yeah. unique. Yeah. And seeing it from an American perspective, perspective rather than. Yeah. Uh, you know the the perspective we usually get which is the far more difficult one to yeah 
watch. I did you see um the spoiler I want to talk about? Did you know who Strauss was? No, RDJ's character. I didn't either. So that was kind of like a plot twist for me. Obviously, if you know history, it's not a plot twist at all that he is the the one who um is going after or or who wanted to take away Oppenheimer's security clearance. And I, I just thought that whole sequence was the best part of the whole movie because Emily Blunt knows it the whole time. Uh, yeah. Kitty <laughs> knows it the whole time and she screams about it. Terrible and mother, by the way. Bad mother. Um, Decent wife, though. Decent wife. Oppenheimer, not great husband. Terrible, terrible husband. <laughs> great uh, bomb builder, though. Yeah. Smart guy, that Oppenheimer. <laughs> Pretty decent in- intelligence. But, yeah, I thought the reveal of RDJ and that whole sequence of the dots all connecting and seeing what the trial is that we've been watching for the last two and a half hours um, that we don't really know like what exactly like why it's happening um, and why it's so lopsided and unfair. And then we finally get to see it's because obviously stress was humiliated in front of court. And that was the, the petty enough reason that he wanted to destroy Oppenheimer's reputation. Still don't fully understand how he was humiliated. I do, we they show well, the scene. I understand what all, the scene. All all it was was it was a RDJ's, smart guy humiliation. Yeah, RDJ said something about science that he didn't really fully understand, and then Oppenheimer just crushed him for it. I guess he even cru- like he didn't. It's not even like a crushing. He just says something about a sandwich, and then <laughs> laugh. He, yeah. All the intelligent folk laugh, and you and I were like, "What the <laughs> fuck are they talking about?" And they showed the scene like, "What's an isotope, they, dude?" They, yeah, they showed the scene like six times, and I, I still, the more they showed it, the less I understood. What, I was like, "What the hell is he upset about?" I really, I'm not even smart enough to understand why he would be mad. Um, and I love the fact that he's, he is. The other half of that is that he is fully thinking that Einstein, that um, Oppenheimer mm. made Einstein mad at him. And but he didn't at all. All they didn't all even talk he about did, it. Well, yeah, they didn't even talk about it. And it's it talks, I don't know, it, it's kind of a commentary on like the way that people in power, especially, but just people in general, think things are a lot of the time about themselves and take things personally. And, Dude, I do this all the time. Yeah. yeah you ever yeah. wear a shirt that's like too tight and you're like, everyone's looking at my boobs and, belly <laughs> and literally, and I'm <laughs> literally no one is thinking about it. Yeah. Everyone no else is too busy thinking about themselves. So, yeah. Everyone else is too busy. Like, I smell so bad right now. <laughs> I can smell it. Fuck, and I haven't knows. showered in three days. <laughs> God damn. And the other guy's like, I have a body in my backseat right now. So, sorry. <laughs> don't make a guitar. But... No, that guy, that guy's not worried about it at all. He's, no. he's taking him back to the murder cabin. Yeah. All right, let's get in. Uh, sorry. I, I, I and welcome some. to the vanishing part two. <laughs> do, you, do you want some coffee? Um, Yeah, so this movie was great. Uh, Harry Truman, kind of a cool character. He, a uh, little fun fact, he was my favorite president when I was a little guy. Um, wow. And I would, it was cool to see him like this. I love the scene where he's like, like Oppenheimer is... Because I think Harry Truman's kind of right about this one too. Oppenheimer, yes, is, he's right. is like freaking out because he killed a bunch of people. Um, well, he feels like he killed a bunch of people. Yeah, he feels like he killed he a bunch of people. Bomb. And then the Harry Truman's line of being like, "You think you killed a bunch of people? I did. I'm the one that said this bomb. I'm the one that made this go off. I'm the one that authorized it and let it go off. You didn't do shit. 
Like this, the blood's on my hands. He says, get this crybaby out of here or something like that. Like, don't let that crybaby back in here. That's really good stuff. It is. They're both right. Like Oppenheimer has a right to feel like he killed a bunch of people. And that is another amazing scene where he's given the speech um, to the crowd of people in Los Alamos. Yeah. And it, the audio in this scene is crazy because it's, it's like, completely muted and all you hear is Oppenheimer's voice but you don't hear they show the crowd cheering but you don't hear the crowd cheering uh and then you can tell like what he's saying he doesn't fully believe because he's starting to visualize all the dead people that just the reactions like the reactions of the people yeah and he right it's pretty this is a cool um use of PTSD as well um because it's not combat PTSD and it's not even traumatic ptsd in a way it's more of it's ptsd that he has because he's thinking about everything and all the damage he caused um which is a unique type of ptsd because usually that disorder comes about from seeing something so traumatic and horrific or experiencing something so traumatic and horrific that you just can't cope with it um this is a little different because he doesn't actually experience that he just has it from being so smart and knowing like what he actually did and understanding it to a full level. Um, yeah. And it's very unique. And they did a really good job with the PTSD um, thing. The level, the music level and the sound level was like a tad too high in the theater. You're deaf. So you were fine with it, but I'm, I'm like parts of it. I was like covering my ears. So the scenes no, where he's definitely having, loud. It's yeah. supposed to be loud though. I know, but the, like it was like overly loud and like the scenes when he was having PTSD, it was like deafening. <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh my God, I'm never mind. I'm not going to say that, but yeah, um, it was, he, they did a really good job with how they did the PTSD scenes. Um, yeah. And then the idea of like this Soviet arms race coming up was just really fascinating and was something I didn't think about, um, obviously. And did you like understand all that like did you feel that you understood everything with that i mean i think so i I thought it was just an interesting perspective because obviously we know how everything played out all these years later and we get to see them like just thinking about the beginning of it and they they kind of know what's going to happen too (laughs) but obviously we're what 100 years or 80 years in the future or something so yeah it's just it it is cool to see i don't know how how people of that time would have thought about the upcoming cold war well, we're if you're talking if it's the fifties, we're only seventy years ahead. Um yeah. so we're not like super far ahead. But yeah. Um did you I have one for you. Did you do you think the atomic bomb was necessary? Dude. So my dad's an Air Force man and yeah. he will always stand by that it was, and I respect everyone's opinion on this because I I don't know. Like this is one of those things where it's like I completely get both sides. I think I agree with the decision to drop the bomb because there was because of the atrocities that were happening and how bad the war was and had ba- how bad it could have gotten um, if you don't if if America didn't drop that bomb. Now, is it necessary to drop it and kill a hundred thousand people? I don't know. Like like was there a cutoff number there? Maybe was like could could they have saved more people? Maybe, but uh, overall, yeah, I agree. What about you? Same thing. Um, and the main, the key to this was that the Japanese were unwilling to, they would not have surrendered. And yeah. 
you would have lost um <clears throat> i'm not choking up my voice is just going away but you would have lost a lot more people um this was a way to end the war um now it leads to you can argue that it leads to among the casualties that die from radiation and all that type of shit um you know you can add that to the death toll you can also add different deaths associated with the cold war because there's conflicts like the there it can be argued the bay of pigs invasion from john f kennedy um in cuba doing yeah. having to do with the cuban missile crisis there's an argument argument to be made that possibly if the bomb is not dropped or created or whatever maybe you avoid things like that like these mini conflicts where um the us is going to fight communism just because of the idea that of mutually assured destruction where if one of them goes the other one's going to blow the other right. one up and um i think who knows though because this easily if america doesn't do this first and the soviets do it or germany or whoever this is this could be like iowa city gets the atomic bomb in the middle of it or mm -hmm. something like that or a bigger city like that and that's a really traumatic thought um it just sucks war sucks for everybody um this is why when you're little and you see people make wishes for one thing and they say world peace and i think when you're little you don't actually understand what comes with that um and as mm -hmm. you get older and you read about history and you understand history i think you understand a lot better that world peace is way more important um because a lot of innocent people die when wars happen and it's just it's very scary obviously and it's it's just awful i mean there are people that would have you read read or learned about hiroshima and like the actual what happened to the people that like were involved yeah well i i read actually a lot about the aftermath and the yeah. diseases and stuff um which they touched on also in the movie but yeah, yeah it's just horrible and like people running outside and the pavements melting and it mm -hmm. like they run outside for safety and they get stuck which i think you see yeah. in this flashback um yeah the the thing that stuck out to me was like learning that the people closest to the bomb were actually by far the luckiest because yeah. the further like if you were affected by the bomb by the blast um but survived it it was probably way worse way worse <laughs> um it, it and then obviously you know dying after and from from the aftermath the thing i i was thinking about too like i was talking with my girlfriend about this and i was thinking like so this is the 40s right there's not a ton of in Japan there's villages right and I'm sure there's not a ton of it's not like now where you have family that's like oh my uncles live in New York my cousins live in Florida you know whatever you could have your entire bloodline in one town right relatively close to each other and I was just thinking about how like the atomic bomb pulverized entire families and bloodlines so like that would be yeah, like yeah. If the if the whole the Belzic family lived in one town and like were no evaporate. The There's no more of that last name. There's no more of that bloodline. There's no more of that history. You don't have any mm -hmm. artifacts left. Um, and that's a very like sobering thought because that's just obviously devastating. Um, and then think about like, think about in our hometown of Bedford, right? Think about like Bedford as a whole. If Bedford was wiped off the face of the earth, how much history you lose just there. And yeah. I mean, it's just sad to think about like all the stuff that was lost um, because of it. So 
it's a brutal thing. It's one of those, um, you know, save five people, uh, kill five people to save the train full of people or kill the train of people to save the five people. And it's an unknowable answer, but I do think it, from the information we have, I do think it was, you know, relatively the right decision, I guess. Um, it's a shitty choice. <laughs> it's the best Tough of the shitty position choices. to be put in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, it makes sense that Oppenheimer died in 1967 because the amount of stress that that guy was under, plus the mm -hmm. amount of cigarettes he smoked and the lack of anything else he ate or drank, <laughs> insane. Probably wasn't sleeping a whole whole. Probably bunch. wasn't sleeping a ton. I he was cracked out. I don't know what the hell he was on, but he was. There's no way he did that fully sober. He must. I know. It's in the movie. It's clear he's a bit of a drinker, but mm -hmm. I wonder if he was on like I know. Back then they had like cocaine coca-cola so i wonder if he was just ripping cokes <laughs> all day coke cokes coke cokes um i also didn't know he was a part of the communist party like or not associated no with it that whole storyline was new to me had no idea we, we were getting that yeah um the so obviously we're talking about the communist party meetings like the secret ones in the houses and there are like full active members of the communist party um and then there's the american communist versus the soviet communist and that's super interesting. Um, I knew a little bit about I like I knew there was communist meetings, but I thought there were more I thought there were more secretive and I thought there was less people in them um, than there were. It seemed like that was less secretive. And I also didn't realize that the it seemed like a lot of people in academia were in those communist party meetings. Yeah, which I would not uh, have guessed. I thought it was interesting at the end when Matt Damon's character was asked if he would clear Oppenheimer. Uh, under the current restrictions, which were obviously more against the communists to keep communists out of the security clearance. Um, and he said, no, he wouldn't, but he wouldn't clear any of the scientists. Yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, it's it's interesting because all those guys were from maybe different backgrounds that were questionable. But at the same time, you needed them to help the country. So. Um, we took a long time to not talk about Matt Damien, so let's do it now. He was really good. I mean, hot take. He was, he was really phenomenal. Good. Yeah. Looks great with a mustache, first thing. <laughs> very, very good mustache wearer. Um, yeah, his character was really good. I liked there's one part where he goes like fully ape shit. I mean, there's a couple of parts, and he like really gets pissed off and how red his face gets and how like he's like shaking with anger. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, when when they're going to recruit all the different scientists to come work at Los Alamos, yes, that's one of the times where he gets heated. That's a great sequence for for Matt Damon. He does great. Um, he's awesome in the whole movie, but so is everyone. Let's go. I think my uh performance ranking. Ready, real quick, of the main people, I would go Cillian Murphy. Then I would go Robert Downey Jr. And then it's probably either Matt Damon or Emily Blunt. And I. I would probably have to give it to Emily Blunt, and then I go Matt Damon. That's exactly what mine is too. That's exactly <laughs> what mine is. Um, um, Robert Downey Jr. maybe doesn't have as much screen time as those other three, but he he just steals every scene that he's in. Yeah. Um, also, Sean Avery, the the guy that the like intense, he's like an old hockey player for the Rangers that was like notoriously dirty. He's in this movie. I don't know what he plays. Oh, really? Yeah, he's just in it though. Um, <laughs> he's just on the cast. I think he must play like a background. There's a ton of background people. Yeah. Um, I love seeing the way that people lived back then because it's so hard for us to like understand that. Obviously, not a 
around there. And one of the one of the scenes that I really liked, just because of the costume, um, was when they're loading up the test bomb, and they have like the two, like, mechanics there, and what they're wearing, like they're green. They're wearing like green hat and like green overall kind of thing. And I was like, that looks very 40s. And that's just yeah. a cool those guys like they they this cast was comp uh composed of a bunch of people that had the look of someone from a past time, like someone that doesn't really exist anymore. Like like the Paul Newman, um, Clint Eastwood, like the 40 the way that people looked in the 40s. Yeah. Yeah, I they're mean, just a little whole, bit different. The, uh, everything production-wise in this movie is top tier. There's not yeah. going to be a flaw in this, any of those departments. The shots um, of the whole wide open desert and mm-hmm. um, where was it and where Los Alamos ended up being was really good, really well done. That's in Wyoming, correct? I think. Uh, maybe not Los Alamos, but like I don't know. Oh, New Mexico. It was New Mexico. Sorry. I, I, we knew that one. Um, Yeah, that's in New Mexico. Um, Los Alamos. I don't know if you knew, you. I watched. Did you watch the Vox video that came up about the secret cities of Los Alamos? No, I watched that one. It's a it's an interesting watch. I would recommend it. It's um pretty quick, but basically all of all of Los Alamos and everyone who lived there, like that was a secret that they were living there. And um. A bunch of, as I mentioned in the movie, there's 80 babies born in the first year, and then it kind of goes out of 40, and then it goes out of 10. But um, they basically put their addresses as this P.O. box in New Mexico. So all those people were from a P.O. box in New Mexico, um, which yeah. is pretty cool. And this is also a good summer for movies in the middle of New Mexico because Asteroid City is in like Arizona or New Mexico or something, takes place around the same time and has to do with. Um and use and has the use of like military personnel. Um, so wow. it's big big summer for New Mexico movies. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if they're in Asteroid City. I don't know if it's in New Mexico, but it looks like New Mexico for sure. Um, they can claim it, maybe. Maybe. Um. All right. Any other stuff you want to talk about? Nice, I'm good. Naked I, I scene. That was pretty. Yeah, cool. that was that was awesome. I'll, I'll watch it again just for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I I want to watch the whole movie again because I know there's so much that I missed and I know that. There's so much that I would gain uh, going back a second time and knowing what happens. Did you leave the movie theater thinking about it? I did. I actually I I sat with it for a long time. But I will say my first thoughts out of the theater were that it was a lot and that I was confused and overwhelmed. But once I got home and I like went to bed, I was able to kind of connect a lot of dots and just figure out what what stuff I missed. But I it's. It's not about you like you're gonna miss stuff, like I already said. You don't have to catch every piece of dialogue to fully enjoy this movie. Like it's it's about the big stuff. You don't need to catch every little conversation. Um, as long as you can follow the plot and the characters, you're gonna enjoy it. Yeah. And I think it's one of those movies too that if you watch four or five times, you're gonna pick up like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like there's yeah. that subtle all the little stuff, yeah. You there's that subtle thing, there's that subtle choice that that actor makes with to make that facial movement that's really it's all really good and yeah i i can't stop gushing about this movie because it's awesome um yeah and when we left the movie we were like when should we talk about this and i think we both were like we need to take a minute to di- digest this and sort of you know um just kind of let it debrief a little bit because there's a lot in there um it covers one of the darkest times in 
human history, not just American history, but human history. And then it covers the aftermath and it covers the lead up as well. And it's just really well done. And um, are you hopeful that this is going to make going to the movie theater a thing still? Huh, I mean, let's talk question. about our theater experience as well, because that was a bummer. Yeah, I mean, the theater we go to is just dead every time. Like, <laughs> and like Jordan nice, and I got in there. Nice Jordan and I got in there, and it was just you and I until like two minutes in. Yeah, it's nice to have the theater to yourself, but it's also really sad to think about how fast movies have gone downhill and or movie theaters have gone downhill. Movies are obviously doing just yeah. fine, but movie theaters might be by the time we are, you know, having kids and stuff, we might not be taking them to the movies, which is a sad yeah. thought. Would so you like, um, to really answer your question sad. though, I don't, I don't think I have any hope for movie theaters. I think they're fucked. <laughs> I just, really? the, the streaming platforms are, are too much. And there's uh, movies like Oppenheimer are too few and far between. Not the, not every movie has the budget of Oppenheimer and still, like, even if everyone goes to see Oppenheimer, it's only one movie, and that only does so much for a theater. Like, there's I'm, just Barbie too, though. Barbie and Oppenheimer have been really good. But again, it's midsummer. This is when the big movies of the year come out. So there's gonna be like two, three, four, maybe five movies in a year that people really get up to, uh, and go to the theater to see. All of the other like small budget films, no one sees anymore, and. Yeah, they, that that used to be a thing. Like, we have nothing to do. It's Tuesday night. Let's go see this random movie that we have no idea what it's about. People yeah. just don't do that anymore because we have Netflix and HBO Max, and we can search through and find stuff. So, I don't have a lot of hope. I'm sorry to break your heart because I know <laughs> you wanted me to say I had hope. No, I wanted you to be honest, and you were. <laughs> that's <laughs> and that's good. I mean, you're right. I I feel a little bit with the right. I don't fully understand the writer's strike, so obviously we need to take some time to uh, learn about that more. But I mm -hmm. feel there's a part of me that feels like there's like a turning point happen happening maybe, and that the writer's strike might do something because I believe they're striking over AI usage and streaming and everything. Um, and I don't know. I'm interested in seeing how that pans out, and I'm interested in seeing if the community as a whole. Because I there's people that like us that want movie theaters to be alive, and they yeah. want it to not go away. I think the way I look at it is like if bowling alleys can stay in service, I think mm. you can keep a movie theater. I think it's different because you really can't bowl at home, no matter how oh, long. That's you a wait. really good fucking point. <laughs> Mike drop Jordan. Well done. There's only one place to go to bowl. Like there's yeah. a lot of people who. At this point, they see a movie come out and they're like, oh, that's awesome. I get to watch that in three months when it comes out on Netflix or or on on demand or whatever. And that's just sad. But do you think you would have liked Oppenheimer as much from your couch, though? Because I don't think I would have. No, I love going to the movies. I think especially for movies like Oppenheimer, it is a completely different viewing experience. There's less distractions. You're only locked in on the screen. Um, the audio is obviously way better. The visuals are way better because it's way bigger. Um so I love watching movies at home, but yeah, to me, movie theater experience is completely different, especially with Oppenheimer. That's huge. I think Oppenheimer and Asteroid City are two of the perfect examples where if you go watch those at home, you don't like the movie as much. It's just that simple. I mean, the for Asteroid City, it's bright lights and music and quick dialogue and just interesting 
to be a part of and watch and sound design. And then with Oppenheimer, it's the intensity, the the speed, the the camera cuts, the just how well done it's made. It's made for theater. So well, and the visuals and the cinematography, yeah, and the audio, like it, it is very much made for theater. I think if you're at home, you're pausing it nonstop and you're confused and it's just not the same. And so. you're probably like getting distracted. And if you miss something, you're like, what the fuck? And yeah. You go on your phone and you miss something else. And it's uh, yeah, that's I, one of those movies. I my mom want to watch that at home. That's one of those movies. My mom yells down like, Max, do you do this? And then I'm like, what? And then, then I'm just done for the movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, you miss you miss <laughs> something and you're just completely yeah, you're just fucked. Uh, not not locked in anymore yeah what's do you know of any more big movies on the horizon because i feel like this one just like kind of popped up around may they're like oh be on the lookout for this and then it happened and now we're here because i don't uh, i mean i don't know like if there were big movies coming out they usually come out right around now uh because i'm there's... hooked i want to see like oh, i want to see like everything. i mean we saw we saw the previews like haunted mansion looked that fun, looked terrible. That, I didn't want to watch that at all. Huh? I I thought it looked at least like it was funny and fun, but that looked like know. it was for kids. I think. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, so yeah. is Barbie though, which decent movie. No, oh, I Dune's think that... coming out. Dune Dune's gonna be huge. Dune, what's Dune about? Is that the one? <laughs> is that is it part two? Yeah, it's Dune part two. Oh, Blue Beetle is coming out. So what's that one? Keep an eye out for that. Keep That's DC. <laughs> oh. that they're they're expected my... to be like a hundred million dollars um negative from <laughs> from what their budget was like Sick. they they spent a ton on this movie and they're projecting no one to go see it so that's good. i may i uh, may yeah, Dune part two november 3rd that's that's gonna be probably the next big movie i'm excited for that wow all right hunger games what? we got some what? movies hunger which games one? is gonna be good which hunger games it's a prequel what? It shows, uh, shows President Snow when he's really young, like like a young adult. I think. Shit, should we go watch that? I'd be down. That's November seventeenth. So November. Oh my Good god! Movie, oh my god! That's sad. That's just is just nothing from now until November, really. Oh oh yeah no th- we're done, dude. You you thought there was more movies coming out, huge movies this summer? No, that's that's done. That's disheartening that sucks <laughs> well <laughs> on a, on, <laughs> there's a movie we... called heart of stone with gal gadot which i think we saw it, it we it looked like the feminist mission impossible that's oh what I we thought. did see that one you leaned over yeah. and said that's we, feminist we saw the <laughs> yeah and you know who else <laughs> is in that is mission impossible with girls it's matthias uh schweighofer the guy the guy that i mentioned from um the guy whose name you can't say yeah the other guy so yeah cool um all right well <laughs> glad that we bummed everyone out with that um all right final ratings for the movie 10 out of 10 you gave it a 9.2 right yeah 9.2 all right well we are going to be back next week with a little film called should i, should I say it now or should i let them yeah yeah, yeah. a little film called Not sicario my favorite action movie um starring emily blunt as well so stay tuned for that that'll be out next week thank you all for listening We'll be back very soon and peace.